Habakkuk chapter 1 this morning. A little bit of review before we dive into our text this morning. Last week we started verses 1 through 4. We talked about the season of how long, how all of us have been there. This season of waiting, of wanting God to do something, of recognizing that that it's God who has to do it. Like we can't save ourselves. We can't intervene into the situation. There's this recognition that, that God, we need you to do it. And yet it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. And, and so we'll probably hit on this again, but in case we don't, like that phrase in verse 2, how long, oh Lord, will I call for help? Like, like we've all been there where it's like, God, I'm crying out. I want help. I want you to do something. And it seems like you're not listening. Right? So, so that's where we were last week. And, and here's Habakkuk's cry. And we say his lament. And, and this morning, what we're going to see in verse 5 and following is, is God's response to that. Okay, but before we dive in to God's response, a couple, one more thing from last week, and then a couple of things before we actually get to the text re- referring to this week. Last week, I ended with a quote, and I appreciate the quote, and I still like the quote. But the quote was this picture that Habakkuk is upset. I don't know if you would say upset with God, but upset with his situation. Why? Because the people around him, he says there in verse 2, is, is violence and that word corruption, oppression, and all these other things. Right? So, so he looks at the situation of, of the people around him, and he's broken over, over that. Okay, so, so the quote last week that we ended on was this quote that we should be broken for, for the culture that's around us that's broken and sinful and, and away from God. And, and yet, we kind of talked about this in discussion group, and yet he's not broken over all of humanity. Right? Like, like he's broken more specifically over the people of God that know better, that have the law, that, that have this covenant relationship with him, and, and he's broken over that. So, so for us, like to take kind of what we did last week, like we should be broken for the people around us that don't know Jesus. Like I'm not saying we don't have to be that anymore. Like for sure that. But at some level, we should also be broken for this, like the idea of the church and what's going on in the church. Like culturally in America today, there's a church that would say, hey, you can, uh, God is only love. God doesn't punish sin. Like we can go down that road. There's a church today that wouldn't go out and make disciples. So Matthew 28, Jesus' greatest command, we would say, uh, love God, love others. And then we have this great commission of, of making disciples. And so what do we do is, is we don't do that. And so there's, a, there's a, a level at which we can mourn, we can be broken, we can uh, uh, lament the condition of the American church. Like, I think there's where Habakkuk's at. But before we just say the American church, like, we should step back and say, is that us? Like, like are we a group of believers who would say we know better, we have the completed word of God, we know the, the commands of Jesus, but are we doing them? Right, because that's what Habakkuk was broken over. Like, like, these people knew better because they have a relationship with God, right? And so for us today, that's us. That's this American church. That's Gospel Community of Sarasota. Are we people who would say we know God, and yet we don't obey the commands? Okay, a uh, couple of things before we dive into verse 5, though. Uh, what we saw, verse 1 through 4, is Habakkuk, right? He's, he's lamenting. Uh, the, we say that word in, in verse 1, oracles, how the NASB translated it. It literally means burden. Okay, so we saw this burden from Habakkuk. Uh, what we're going to see is, is God's response. And before we get to God's response, I mean, we already got there two weeks ago because we read the whole book. Uh, but before we get there this morning, I just, I just want to ask the question, if you were reading this for the first time, if we could somehow do that, and you get to read it back for the very first time, what would we expect? 
Like, what would be the expectation of, of what God is going to do? How is he going to respond to Habakkuk? Do we think he's going to respond? Do we think he's not going to respond? Uh, do we think, hey, he's going to respond with something like Mount Sinai and thunder and lightning and clouds and, and a voice? And, like, is he going to just give Habakkuk a really powerful message and revival breaks out? Ten plagues? Like, is he going to repeat Exodus this time on Israel instead of Egypt? Like, like what would be, in our mind, a proper response to this? I said this in our small group. I don't think I'm going to do this. Like, I, I think we get to eternity. I mean, it's the Word of God. It's powerful. It's good. But when we get to eternity, I don't know if I'll care anymore. I don't know. But I kind of want to ask Habakkuk. Like, hey, when, when you cried out to God, how long? What were you expecting? Because we know from next, what we'll say next week, we know that this is not what you expected. Right? God didn't give you what you expected to hear, which is going to be a big part of, of what we're doing uh, today. But, but what would we expect? What would we expect to read next? How is God going to intervene in the, in the life of his people? Okay, one more thing before we dive into the verse. We notice uh, Habakkuk's lament, his burden, this that goes on, and then God responds. And, and one thing that we're not going to see in God's response is a lecture on how you should respond or how you should interact with God. So, so I, we, we kind of brought up the question before, and we talked about Psalms that do this as well, but we kind of brought up the question like, like is it okay for us to come to God in verse 2 and be like, God, how long? Like, God, this seems broken. This doesn't seem right. Like, God, uh, if I could say it this way, like, life should be better than this. Like, the, the life that you designed from your word, God, should be better than this. And are we able to come to God and say that? Well, God's response, we don't see him to say, hey, Habakkuk, I'll answer your question. But before I do, let me, let me give you some insight on how to better ask that question next time. Okay, so now God's holy, he's sovereign, he's omnipotent, he's all those things, and yet I feel like God desires for us to come to him. And so is there a proper way or a better way or a respectful way to come to God? Sure, we can make that argument, but I think what we see here is God says, I want you to come. We're working with our boys. I'm reading a book right now, which, boys, you don't have to listen to this part because now you have like this insider information. Uh, But it's on how to raise emotionally strong boys. And one of the things that they talk about is getting this conversation started. And it's like, once the conversation started, like, like that's great. Get the conversation started. So, so when one of my boys won't want to talk to me, uh, because whatever happened and I'm, whatever, the sister did something, you're like, okay, whatever's going on. And they don't want, like, like, it's almost like I don't, what they say might come out wrong, but that's fine. Why? I want the conversation to start. And I feel like at some, at some level, there's a, there's a holy God that we have respect for and all those things, and yet he wants the conversation to start. He's not here going to lecture us on, you should have, you should have come differently. Like, no, he's, I think he's rejoicing in the fact that he comes. Okay, so he's going to respond. Verse 5, he'll respond. Now, I am going to say this. If you feel like this is how God is supposed to respond to you, I would disagree. Uh, we have the completed word of God. Uh, he already has responded to some extent. Okay, so he's going to respond to us probably differently than some audible voice conversation that we would have, that we see here with the back end. Okay, verse 5, though. Here it is. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if, if we're told you. Okay, so, so the first, in, in the NASB, they have it split up like poetry. So the first line, look among the nations, observe, seems to fit pretty well with the third line. And then be astonished and wonder seem to fit well with that fourth line. So, so what does he say? He says, look among the nations and observe. Why? Because I'm doing something in your days. Okay, so, so in our how long season, right? When our, in our season when it's like God doesn't seem to be doing anything, and our season when it's like God doesn't seem to be listening to my prayers, when it seems like God isn't intervene, intervening in what's going on in my life. 
What, what does God say to Habakkuk in, the, in his situation? He says, verse 5, look among the nations and observe. I wonder how many times, maybe I could say it this way to start. I wonder how many times we've gone through a season of how long and we've come out on the other side and we stopped and we looked back and we saw God's hand all along the way. And it wasn't how we thought it was going to be. And maybe there's still some questions that we have unanswered. But at some level, it's like, God, I didn't think you were with me. But now that I'm out of it, looking back, you were with me every step of the way. Right? Sometimes I wonder when we're in the middle of this how long, how often we're looking at the wrong thing. We're looking at our struggle. We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at my issue, my this, my that. And and we don't lift our eyes. We don't look. We don't observe. Maybe for some of us, we have an idea of how God's going to fix this, and so we're looking for what we want God to do, and we're no no longer allowing God to be God because we think we'd be a better God, and so we want God to do what we want him to do, and so we're looking for the wrong thing. Like, if I was God, and this is the situation, here's how I'd handle it, and so we're looking for that answer. I'll tell you what, Habakkuk was looking for an answer, and and God's going to give him one he never expected. So what do we do? In the middle of this how long season, we look. We observe. What does he say, though? He says, you look, you observe. Why? Because I am doing something in your days. It's not that, yeah, Habakkuk, I, I, I kind of realize it's a mess down there. i got to think of something. It's not, I'm going to. It's not at some point. Like, no, the sovereign one over the universe says, no, right now I'm presently doing something. I'm presently at work. So, so what does that mean? It means even when we don't see God at work, even when we don't have the hindsight of 2020 and, and knowing what God's doing and being able to see his hand through the whole process, we can step out in faith and say, okay, God's got it. The omnipotent, sovereign one over this universe who has a covenant relationship with his people, he's got it. He's doing something. We can trust that, right? Second uh, line there for me, in my Bible at least, says, be astonished and wonder. That seems to go with that last line. You would not believe what God is doing if you were told. So there's some sort of look up, and then there's some sort of I, be prepared. Like, like what's going to take place is it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be what you were looking for. And yet it's God doing the work, not us. Okay, so, so what is it? What is this event? What's going to happen? Verse 6. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, also the Babylonians, just different name. I'll probably call them the Babylonians, uh, so hopefully that doesn't confuse us. Okay, but, but verse 6, let's just, let's just, that first phrase, let's just stop for a second. For behold, I, God, am raising up these Babylonians. Like, like just from that phrase alone is going to open up a lot of questions. Because, because what we're going to see is the Babylonians are pretty violent. The Babylonians aren't God-fearing people. And so, so how do we wrestle with the fact that God's going to raise up, like I am raising up what we would look at as an evil nation to accomplish God's will? Right? What does he mean by raising up? What he means by raising up is that Babylon's going to come and they're going to conquer Israel and they're, he's going to use an evil Babylon-type nation to come and bring judgment and bring correction and bring the people of God back to himself. Right? And so for us, that's like, hey, uh, just reading the text, verse 6, God's bringing, raising up the Chaldeans, these Babylonians, like, great, cool, God's powerful. But if we could somehow get in Habakkuk's mind, like, no, God, this is, this is not your people. Like, we are your people. 
No, God, you don't use evil to, to do, like, okay, so let's talk about Babylon. And as we talk about this, like, like this would be this people group invading the church. I don't know how to say that, but invading believers and, and taking them over. Like, so, so let's see, how does God describe Babylon? Uh, verse 6. He uses two words, and these two words seem to be an overarching umbrella defining who the people are. So in verse 6, he says that fierce and impetuous people. Okay, so those are the two words, fierce and impetuous. Everything else, maybe not neat and tidy, but somewhat seem to fall underneath those two categories. Okay, what does he mean by that? Fierce. Uh, the, the Hebrew word literally means bitter. That's probably not super helpful for us, but maybe this would be. In 2 Samuel 17, verse 8, the Hebrew word, same Hebrew words there is used. Here's the verse. You know your father, speaking of David and his men, that they are mighty men and they are fierce. Okay, so... So David's mighty men are referred to as fierce. Maybe helpful, maybe not as helpful. But then it, they define that word fierce for us. Same Hebrew word used in Habakkuk. That word fierce, 2 Samuel 17, 8 says this. Like a bear robbed of her cubs in the field. Like all of a sudden that word fierce is, isn't just like, oh yeah, they're powerful. Like now it's like, no, here's some sort of apex predator that you just, you just offended. Like we have a phrase for that. It's called don't poke the bear. Right? And, and like this is the picture of Babylon. Like it's a bear that God, I don't know if I can say this, but it's like a bear God's about to poke for the sake of Israel. Right? And the word impetuous has this idea of to make haste. Uh, so how, how quickly, so what, is that, what does it all mean? It, means? it could mean the speed at which they attack. It could mean that they attack without warning. Like they, all of a sudden, here's the, you wake up one morning, and there's the troops. There's, there's the most powerful military at that time staring down your, your city. And so God says, like, he's going to describe Babylon, and he's going to say, here's what they are. They're fierce. Uh, they're, it's like poking the bear, some sort of apex predator, like something you don't want to mess with, and, and the speed and quick and just devastation they bring. Okay, here's what's interesting. He's going to continue to go and talk about Babylon. But here's what I find interesting. God knows who Babylon is. Like, he knows that. He's not, he doesn't give some sort of like, yeah, God, you described them, but you didn't describe them very well. Like, no, he knows. It's not some sort of scam. He didn't open up an email and Babylon promised some gold from Africa from a prince. Like, no, it's not some sort of scam that God fell for. Like, he blatantly and totally understands who Babylon's, probably more so than even Habakkuk would recognize what Babylon's like. Right? So he's going to continue to walk down this. And why does he walk down this description of Babylon? Could he have not said to, to Habakkuk, like, get your eyes off of you. I'm doing a work. I'm bringing Babylon, period, the end. Like, yes, he could have, but he doesn't. He, he's more gracious than that. He's more kind than that. And he gives Habakkuk his description of Babylon. I think he gives him the description of Babylon to say, I know. Like, I know what I'm doing. I know your circumstance. I know the circumstance of Babylon. I know what's happening. I know what's going on. So let's read this description then of Babylon. They're fierce. They're impetuous. What does that look like? A people that are fierce and impetuous. What do they do? Verse 6, they march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. Like the idea of greed, the idea of power, the idea of whatever they want, they go and get. Right, so, so again, if we were to try and put ourselves in a pack of shoes or sandals or whatever he wore on that day, like all of a sudden we stop and think, like, here's a people group that, that when they want something, they just go get it. They want to attack, they attack. Right, look at verse 7. They are dreaded and feared. Like their name goes out and it brings fear to those who hear about them. 
Like, like there's some sort of dread. Like, I hope Babylon doesn't decide to take us. Like, Babylon wants a new seaside village, so they attack this city and take over that area. They want this mountain for skiing or whatever, so they take that place. Like, that's all they do. Whatever they want, they go and get. And so it brings fear and people, this dread over their name. Verse 7, their justice and authority originate with themselves. Isn't it interesting that the word justice is used here? Right, because back in, in Habakkuk's lament, what does he say? The very last thing he says, justice comes out perverted. Like, God, there is no justice amongst your people. And then what does he, God say about Babylon? He says their justice and authority originate with themselves. That doesn't sound very just when you're the one who gets to define what's just or not just. Because you have the most mil- powerful military, you get to define what justice looks like. You get to define what good and evil look like. Like, that doesn't sound very right. And yet here's Babylon who's doing exactly what Israel's do just to a greater and far degree. This idea of justice and authority originate with themselves. They, they don't see themselves accountable to anybody. So again, they get to do whatever they want. And you're looking at this and you're thinking, God, you can't, you can't do this. You can't bring these people here. Like this cannot be part of your plan. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. Again, the imagery here is this apex predator, like top of the food chain. Like, like they know how to kill. They know how to destroy. Like we, praise God, have the completed word of God. We know like they're going to come out of Babylon. We know that this isn't going to last forever. But can you imagine being Habakkuk? Like, hey, I'm raising up the Babylonians who are going to come. And what do they do? Is they... They kill and they destroy. And they do so quickly, without warning. Like, God, how could you bring up this people to judge our people? Verse 9. All of them come for violence. Right? That should stick out. That word violence should stick out. We talked about it a lot last week. Verse 2. What, did, what was Habakkuk's cry? He says, I cry to you, O God, violence. This oppression, this corruption, this, this isn't how things are supposed to go in the people of God. And so what does God say about Babylon? He says they all come for violence, the same Hebrew word. It's almost as if God is saying, this is, this is a taste of your own medicine, Israel. Like you want to know where, where this culture, where this mindset, where we're going after this uh, ideas would take you. Like, well, let me show you. It takes you to Babylon and not just a powerful military, but it takes you to Babylon and idol worship and brokenness and emptiness. Takes you to a, a, a culture and a lifestyle that has nothing to do with the creator God of the universe. Nothing to do with this God that led you out of Exodus. And so here's this picture of, of, of here's, here's them, and they're further down this road than you are. Which again, for many of us, would be like, how then can we use that? Right? How, how, how can this happen? Because you, you think about the book of Joshua. What, what book of Joshua, they, uh, let's rewind even more. Exodus, right? Egypt. Evil takes, takes Israel as slaves. They're killing people. Like, not good situation. God raises up Israel and delivers them from that. Then they go to the promised land. We read Joshua. And there's, there's people group and nation after nation that would, that would child sacrifice and horrible things and have no respect for the God of the universe. And here's the people of God. And they go in and there's battle after battle after battle. And God's people win and they win and they win. And you would think, hey, that's how, that's how our, the history of Israel goes. Like we were started, we were led in the promised land, and God blessed us. We were his people. These evil nations we were able to defeat, and we moved into the promised land. Now Habakkuk is listening to God, and God's saying pretty much the exact opposite. This evil nation that's, that's further evil than you are, they're the ones who are going to come and judge. 
Verse 9, their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. This picture is an, an unstoppable force. Picture is just who, who can stand up to them. They collect captives like sand. You know, just go to the beach sometime and think about all the sand. Like this, this military force would just move in and take over. Verse 10, they mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. There's, there's no kingdom that they're afraid of. There's no ruler that would strike fear in Babylon's heart. There's no kingdom they don't think they can conquer. Like, to, to invade somebody because they want to, there's nothing stopping them. End of verse 10, they laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. That, that last phrase there, heap up rubble to capture it, I thought that was an interesting phrase. Studying it out, God literally just tells Habakkuk how they win their war. They would siege, put a siege around it, cut off supplies, and they would literally heap up rubble so they could climb over your wall and invade. Like, that's, the, that's, their, that's their whole military strategy. And God, God lays it out. He says, I know. I know who these people are. I know how they think. I know how they feel. I know how they win their battles. Like, I know everything about them. Verse 11. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. The picture there, we would know this quite well from this year. When a hurricane hits, uh, even though we weren't hit as bad as others, you walk outside and there's some recognition that today or yesterday maybe wasn't like any other day. Like yesterday was different. And for us, it was a lot of trees down. A couple of people maybe had some other damage. Uh, but like, like this was different. This isn't how it normally looks, right? Here's the picture. Verse 11, they come in and then they leave and they move on and they conquered you and everything looks different. It's all, it's all blown over. It's all destroyed. There's this destruction that they leave in their path. Okay, so, so here's a backache who, verses 1 through 4, God, how long? Like, you're not listening. You're not, you're not, you don't know. You don't seem to care. You don't seem to understand all the things that are going on. And then God responds and responds in, in, in a way that Habakkuk would not ever dream. And he says, I'm bringing the Babylonians and they're going to come and they're going to capture you like they've captured everyone else. Right? And, and here's the thing, though. Like, we're not done. We still got two, two phrases left. But here's the thing, I, God doesn't have to respond to Habakkuk, right? So, so as horrible as this response seems, there's something that would point to a loving and caring God who would say to, a, to his child, to a prophet of his, that like, hey, let me, let me tell you what's going to happen. You, you want to know? Here it is. And so as, as horrible as this seems, as mean as it makes God sound, the fact that he even responded was, well, man, what a, what a blessing we should understand that to be. Like the creator God of the universe would, would stoop down to, to some Israelite and, and explain to him what he's about to do, like that is a good and gracious thing to do. Right? So, so there's this understanding, like, like God doesn't have to do that, right? Okay, but we also understand, I've pointed this out before, that this probably brings up more questions than answers. Like it does for Habakkuk. God, this doesn't make sense. You can't, you can't do, how are you going to use evil to accomplish your will? You're a holy God. Like none of this seems to fit together, okay? So, so more of that's coming next week. But here's kind of things that we want to land on this morning. Last two phrases of verse 11. But they, speaking of Babylon, will be held guilty. Okay, like, God's saying to him, I know the end of the story. 
Like Habakkuk, you can only see so far. And, in, and what you're seeing, verses 1 through 4, is a guide who doesn't seem to, to understand or doesn't hear or like your struggle to think God's not doing something. Like There's that whole struggle in verses 1 through 4. Now God's opened your eyes to the next little bit. And in 20 years, Babylon's going to come. Though we, I don't think he's going to know it's 20 years, but we know from history. 20 years or so, Babylon's going to come. So he's got like this next little bit. And what is God doing? He's opening his eyes to the very end of this story and saying, and yet Babylon's not going to go unpunished. Like, you're going to be judged, and, and this judgment is for your correction to bring you back into this relationship with God, but, but there's also a judgment coming on Babylon. Okay, so what should that do for Habakkuk? It shouldn't stir up in him some sort of faith in God that God's got this. Right? And what we're going to see, and what, I mean, I don't want to be too hard on Habakkuk because I think I'd have the worst response than he did. Right? But, but, like, God's saying, like, here's what's going to happen, and it's going to end with them being punished with Babylon, Right? And so God gives him the end of the story. Like, praise God for that. Praise God that he's not done with Israel. Praise God that, that all this isn't going to end how it looks like it might end. Like, no, God's still in charge. But notice what he says there, God's last phrase in his response. He seems to not just say Babylon now. Like, they will be held guilty. We're thinking Babylon. And yet he seems to broaden that they out to even more people. They whose strength is their God. Okay, so you look at Babylon, and, and how does God describe them? He describes them as a very powerful military, pretty much. They take what they want. They laugh at kings. They, you know, they just, their, their, their armies like all these apex predators. And yet, what does he say to them? He says, they will be held guilty. They, they will have punishment. Why? Because their strength is their God. It's almost as if God is saying this. Their God's not good enough. Like, their God might look good on paper. Their God might look good in, in their military power and how they, but their God stands no chance against the creator God of the universe. Like, the enemy of God, uh, the enemy here of Israel, as it were, stands no chance against God, the creator of the universe. Okay, I don't want to necessarily spiritualize this or over-spiritualize it, I guess. But when we think about Habakkuk, like all of us last week, I think all of us would say, we've been in, a, in that moment of verses 1 through 4, like, God, how long? Like, that resonates with us. We look here at verse 11, and there's this idea that, that the enemies of God will be held guilty. Those who think their strength will save them, like it won't. It's not a good enough God. Okay? Uh, for us, your enemy, whatever that might look like in your life right now, your enemy is no match for your God. Right? So our greatest enemy would be what? Sin, death, and hell. We sang about it this morning. Like, sin, death, and hell stand no chance with the creator God of the universe, with the Jesus, uh, the Son of God, who would come and, and who would die in our place and shed his blood for us. Like, like, it stands no chance. So what is all this pointing to? It's pointing to the fact that not only is God omnipotent, it's also pointing to the fact that God is victorious. Like, God, uh, God wins, and so the people of God, therefore, are going to win. And so, so like for us today, like, like whatever the struggle is, whatever the how long season of life we're in right now seems to be, however hard that might be, what is, what is God saying to Habakkuk? He's saying that, that this enemy, the circumstance, whatever it is, is not more powerful than the God of the universe. It's not more powerful than the God of the Bible. So, so stop, taking, stop looking at us to be the Savior. Stop looking at someone else to be the Savior and get your eyes on the one who can't actually save. Okay? What we're going to see, though, in this response, just... Wrapping up, it's, it's three easy points, but I want to make a, a comment after these three easy points. Okay, real easy. One, we see God hears. Right, we feel like Habakkuk feels like God's not listening in this how long? Like, how long do I have to cry and you don't save? How long do I have to do these things and you're not listening? And yet we see God knows, or sorry, he hears. 
He hears Habakkuk. He hears him in this season of, of, of how long. He, he hears him when it seems like he's not listening. Right? But in the second, we see this whole description of Babylon, which points to the fact that God knows. God knows what he's doing. It's, it's not a mistake. It's not like he's just throwing guesses out there. Like, like no, he knows our struggle. He knows our circumstance. He knows what he's going to do to intervene in our lives and the life of this church and the life of his people. Like, he knows what he's doing. So here's a God who hears and here's a God who knows. And then we see a God who wins. Like, he gets the final say. I find it so interesting. He gives this huge, long, somewhat long description about Babylon. And then he says, yeah, but they're, they're going to be held guilty. Like, like the phrase of how they're going to be held guilty and what that's going to look like. He doesn't include that. He just says, like, I know the end. I'm power, more powerful than they are. They will be held guilty. Done. Like, he wins. Like, it's not like, oh, it's going to be this great battle and we're not sure how it's going to come. Like, no, he knows. He's much more powerful. It's like some sort of professional wrestler versus a toddler. Like, no one's like, hmm, hmm, I wonder, wonder who's going to win. Like, no, it's blatantly obvious. We know who's going to win. God's going to win. Okay, so what does that mean? It means no nation, no leader, no military power. Like, there's nothing that can stand in the way of God winning. Okay, so what's, what's cool is it's real nice and neat and tidy. God hears, God knows, and God wins. And yet it's found in the context of real mess. Right, so we're going to cling to the fact that God hears me even when I don't think he can hear me. I'm going to cling to the fact that God knows even when I struggle to think maybe he knows. I'm going to cling to the fact that God's winning even when it seems like he's not. Because in Habakkuk's shoes, God hears, God knows, God wins probably isn't powerful enough. Right, like it's, those are things that's like you want to believe, but you're struggling to believe. Like that's where Habakkuk is. And so for us, like, like what do we want to do? Is we want to understand the, the, the struggle of Habakkuk is going to be somewhat of the same struggle we have. What he's going to struggle to believe about God is probably the same things that we're going to struggle to believe about God. Okay, so, so what we're not saying, though, is that we're going to take Habakkuk and try and make it nice and neat. What we're saying is it's a mess and God's at work in the mess. What we're saying is it might not always seem as easy as God hears us and knows us and God's going to win ultimately. But there's certain truths that we can cling to about our God. And so what we're going to see next week is Habakkuk's going to respond. And just a heads up, I'll share the quote next week. But one commentator said, this is probably the most, if we can judge how people respond to God, this is probably the most unrespectful way of ever responding to God found in the Bible. This is next week. Right? So when I say God's at work in the mess, and there's a struggle, and there's all these things, I'm not saying Habakkuk's disrespectful, but if we could grade them somehow, right? There would be more that way. Uh, so there's this mess in going on. There's a struggle in Habakkuk's mind. So we don't want to just pull out neat and tidy from the struggle. We understand there's a struggle. That's the context. But in all of that struggle, here's a God who, who would hear, who would know, and who would ultimately win. So may we put our trust in him and not in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Habakkuk. Thank you for this inside look that we get thousands of years later into a conversation that you would have with one of your prophets. God, there are, there are definitely seasons of our life of how long, whether individually, whether just looking at, at a people, a nation. God, there's, there's even days when we would wonder how long until, until Christ would return. It seems like things aren't getting better. At times, it doesn't seem like you win. And so, God, I, I, I pray that, that as we go through seasons of how long, as we go through uncertainty as we go through trials and struggles and difficulties that what we know about you is what we would cling to that we would we would interpret our circumstances based on what we know about you 
and we want to interpret you based on what we see in our circumstances. God, we know that you hear us. God, the fact that you hear, the fact that you would listen to us, God, we should come to you in prayer so much more. God, the fact that you know our struggle, you know the plan, you know how you're going to intervene, you know what's coming next, God, we should, we should trust you so much more. God, the fact that you win. Like, the words come what may, because we know the end. Even though we don't want the struggle, even though we don't want some sort of persecution, even though we don't want these things, God, we know that for all eternity we get to rejoice with you. So, God, the fact that you win, the fact that you're victorious, the fact that you have won the victory already, God, may you help us to live for you. May you help us to face these struggles head on, trusting in you, knowing that you, uh, your will will be accomplished. Father, we love you. We thank you again for this text. We thank you for this time we had together. I pray that you would bless our week ahead of us, and we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.